Amen. You're not sleeping yet, right? I might have to ask Javier to crank up the uh, microphone to keep you awake. But Well, as you know, we uh, have been in this series where we are praying the apostolic prayers or studying the apostolic prayers. And last Sunday, we began looking at the second prayer of the Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 3. This morning, we are focusing on Paul's petition for the Ephesian Christians to be rooted and grounded in love. That's an important prayer, isn't it? That we are rooted and grounded in love. And our text, of course, is that wonderful prayer that begins in chapter 3 of verse 14. And I invite you to read together with me. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Why? That you may be filled with all the fullness of God. And so now, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would speak to our hearts, reveal to us the truths of this prayer that needs to become the prayer of each and every one of us. Be glorified, God, as you give us ears to hear, hearts to obey, and feet that are swift to do your bidding in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen, amen. Well, this wonderful prayer gives us the opportunity to see what goes on in Paul's private prayer closet. You know, that's a secret place that is just between us and God. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit in the Word of God gives us a peek into Paul's prayer closet, and he discloses to the Ephesian Christians and to us, the body of Christ, what the Apostle Paul was doing and saying in that prayer closet. And he tells them, this is what I'm asking God for. You know, as we've been studying this prayer, each petition is so power-packed. We're not praying a prayer that we find in some book, and there are a lot of books out there that have crafted prayers, and I love crafted prayers. They're wonderful. They're prayers that people wrote down. They were inspired. There's a book that's called The Prayers of Peter Marshall, who was the Senate chaplain many, many years ago. It's a classic these days. And there are a number of books out there on crafted prayers. But this isn't a crafted prayer. This is a prayer that is being prayed by the apostle, but being prayed because the Holy Spirit gave him this prayer 
to pray. It was dictated by God himself. And I hope we know as believers that we can never pray more powerful prayers than prayers that have been written by God himself. Can you say amen to that? And as I grow in Christ, I want to pray more and more those prayers because those are the prayers that will get answered. Because we can be sure the word of God says the prayers that are answered are the prayers that are prayed according to the will of God. Now, if God said it, then you can know these are prayers that are prayed according to the will of God. We've seen in uh, verse 19 that Paul's prayer has an end goal. And that end goal, we've been looking at it little by little, and we'll get to it more probably next week or the following, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. Did you know that that's what God wants for each and every one of us? That we might be filled you know, we come to church some, some Sundays and we say, oh, wow, I just felt a touch from the Lord. And those touches are awesome. Those touches are wonderful. I pray that every time we walk into the doors of this church, we feel the touch of God on our lives. In fact, what, what is the motto of this church? To encounter God's love and to experience his embrace. We don't want it to be something that we just say. We want the people that walk into this church to encounter the love of God the Father. When you encounter the love of God the Father, that's a love like you've never known. It's a love that radically changes and transforms our life from the inside out. And we want the people who walk into this church to experience his embrace. Do you know God wants to hold each and every one of us close to his heart? He wants us to know that he is our Abba. He is our daddy. He loves us with an everlasting and an unconditional love. And that is all so wonderful. But there's so much more that God has for us. Not just a touch. He wants us to be filled with all the fullness of God. And of this I am sure this morning. We have not begun to, to, to plumb the depths of God's love. We've not begun to comprehend all that God has. And all that God wants us to know. And the Apostle Paul does say these, this passage of scripture that knowing this is coming into the experience of knowing the unknown because it is impossible to embrace the whole depth and the height and the breadth and the length of it. Impossible with our human mind and it will take all of eternity for us to understand and know the fullness of who this God is. But while it is humanly impossible to know all of it, that does not mean we are not to grow incrementally into a greater knowledge of it. 
We should never have the idea, well, that's not something I could ever attain, being filled with all the fullness of God. No, we can never attain it, but God wants to give us small doses of it, little by little, because if he gave us a large dose, we'd fall over dead. Because we're talking about God in his immensity, God in his majesty, God in his awesomeness. You know, when John, who walked with him for three years, when he saw Jesus in that vision, he fell at his feet dead. We talk about, oh, I want to experience the presence of God. If God ever revealed himself in the fullness of his glory and in the fullness of his majesty, we would fall over dead. That's why God says, no man can ever see me and live because his glory is so brilliant. His holiness is of such a nature that it would consume us. But he says, as your hearts are open to me, I want to reveal myself more and more to you. God does indeed want us to know him. And therefore, we should be praying this prayer. <laughs> May I ask, when was the last time you were in your prayer closet and you said, Lord, fill me with all the fullness of God? Give me another dose. I'm not happy with what I know of you. I'm not happy with what I've experienced of you. There is more to be had. So much more. Our minds cannot even begin to comprehend it. And so as we've been looking at this prayer, we've been focusing on the word that because that is a key word in understanding this prayer. That word that means in order that, and it signifies the progression in this prayer. You know, the scripture says God wants to take us from glory to glory. Well, that's what Paul is doing in this prayer. There, there's the first glory that we talked about last week that we might be strengthened with might. And as we continue in this prayer, we, we need to be strengthened with might so that we could get to the next level so that we could get to the next level so that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. And we read last week how the Apostle Paul said, I bow my knees before the Father in order that, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. The first thing that I want to remind us of that we need to see in this prayer is that Paul knew what it would take to get us to where we need to go. And what did he know? He knew that he had to get on his knees and pray. I wonder how we have this notion that somehow if we get to church once a week, then that is adequate, that is sufficient. If we're going to get to where God wants to bring us, it ain't going to happen. And I know that's not good English, but it gets the point across because it ain't going to happen without us praying. I know we pray when we gather together on Sunday morning. 
And how I thank God for that beautiful anointed prayer that Sister Dawn prayed this morning. But that prayer isn't going to do the trick. Each and every one of us need to get alone with God and talk with God and allow God to speak to our hearts. How do we expect to survive when God's will is not just to survive, but to thrive? He has ordained that we are more than conquerors through him who has loved us. And if we'll be honest, let's be honest this morning. How many of us during the course of this past week can say, yes, Lord, don't, don't say pastor, because I have my own confessions to make to the Lord this morning. Yes, Lord, I, I was not a thriver. I was barely a survivor. You know Why? Because we don't have enough converse with God. We're not in enough communion with God. Because when we are in communion with God, he says, I'm going to pour my strength into you so that you can be more than conqueror. I was reading Mario Murillo's blog this week. And he said something that made me stop and think. He said, people make two statements, one of two statements concerning prayer. I wonder which category that we fit into here this morning. People either say, I have a prayer life. And then there are the world changers of yesteryear who would say, I have a life of prayer. Those two are distinctly different. And Mario clarified the difference by saying that those who say they have a prayer life they ensure that they designate a certain appointment every day where they spend time in prayer with God. I trust that we all have a prayer life. Do you have an appointment with God? Is it on your calendar? You know that you know that this is the most important appointment of your day. How can we go into our day without coming before God, acknowledging that we need him, acknowledging that he is there for us, tuning our ear to heaven's wavelength instead of turning on the radio and listen to what the world has to say, but by renewing our minds in the word of the Lord and allowing him to speak to our hearts. We need to have a prayer life. But there's something more that God actually wants each and every one of us to have. And that uh, is to have a life of prayer. Those giants of yesteryear were men and women who had a life of prayer. They lived their entire life. They lived 24-7 in communion and in fellowship with God. All that they did, all that they thought became a prayer. They, they developed, well, you know, the Apostle Paul said to pray without ceasing. This is a habit and a discipline that can be cultivated to such a degree that your life becomes nothing but a prayer. 
of worship to him, of communion with him, of fellowship with him. It's a sad, sad thing that we could get into our prayer closets, experience the presence of God, but we come out of our prayer closets and we forget that we even have a heavenly father. The first problem that attacks us, we're on our faces, defeated, discouraged, despondent. When God says, I want to walk with you, I want to talk with you, I want to fellowship with you, how is it that we, we segregate our time with God and, and it, we break it off from the rest of our day? When God says, I want you to learn how to live a life of prayer. If we are going to get where God wants to bring us as a person individually, as a church corporately, then we need to know that it all begins in the place of prayer. And without prayer, we will never get to where God wants to bring us. But here's the good news, Christian friends. God's word tells us that the Holy Spirit wants to assist us by pouring strength into our inner man. That's what we need because we're weak. This flesh is weak, but God wants to make our spirit strong. And he can't make our spirit strong unless we are in vital contact and in communion with him. For it is only as we are in communion with him that he could pour his spirit into us. Becoming mighty in spirit. And what we need as believers in the day and age in which we live is this steel-like resolve because all of hell rages against this idea that you want to live in union and communion and in unbroken fellowship with God. But when we are mighty in spirit, we could rise up above the fray and be more than conquerors. And whatever the enemy throws at us, we're still in communion and in fellowship with God. And it only comes by the Spirit. You can't conjure it up on your own. You can't do a Jericho march and say, okay, now I'm in the Spirit. You need to just open your heart. Declare his lordship over your life. Repent of all known sin. Make a place for God in your heart because God desires to give us what he knows we need if we're going to live the kind of life that pleases him. Oh, we're blessed to know his spirit is within us. We're blessed to know that the spirit of God is the great paraclete who comes to walk alongside of us, to comfort us, to guide us. But he wants us to know today that he wants to pour his spirit into our inner man so that we are strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. And so that brings us to that second that that we find in verse 17. Why do we need this divine strengthening? So that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. See, Christianity is not having a little bit of intellectual knowledge about who Jesus is. 
Christians have that. They, they know all about Jesus. They, they know all about the history of Jesus. They know all about the character of Jesus, what he did when he walked the shores of Galilee, how he called the 12 disciples, how he raised the dead and he healed the sick and he opened blind eyes and he caused the lame to walk. But how much of that is only up here and how much of it is down here in knowing the living reality of the Christ who is dwelling on the in side of us and we discover that that word means that he wants to feel at home you know when you when you receive company into your house do you just stand at the threshold and say oh nice to see you and they're saying hi well how are you today and wow we're friends and we haven't seen each other for such a long time do you continue your conversation there? No, no, no. You say, friend, welcome, come in, have a seat, sit at my table, let's break bread together. Is it, that is what God is wanting for you and for me. But he needs to feel comfortable. Do, do we make Christ feel comfortable in our hearts? What else is in our hearts that might make him feel uncomfortable? If there's malice, if there's bitterness, if there's envy, if there's jealousy, if there's lust, Jesus can't feel comfortable. But when we place our faith in Jesus, because Paul said this dwelling, indwelling of Christ is something that happens by faith. We place our faith in Jesus. Jesus, you paid the price for my sin. I confess. I repent of my sin. I invite you to come in. I invite your blood to wash me and cleanse me so that I might know the joy of sin's forgiveness and the more blessedness of fellowshipping with you walking in union and communion. Yes, when we get saved and ask Jesus into our hearts, he does come in. But God wants us to know the deepening revelation of what it means for him to be at home in our hearts. What it means for Christ to settle and to stay. He doesn't come for a Sunday visit. There are too many Christians that visit with God on Sunday, but know nothing of the indwelling of God's presence every day of every week. Why must we have Christ dwelling, abiding, remaining in our hearts? The answer is in verse 17 as we look at that third that, which is really the text for this morning in order that you being rooted and grounded in love. Now, before we dig into those two metaphors, rooted and grounded, we need to answer the question, what is Paul's specific reference to speaking about being rooted and grounded in love? Bible scholars are actually very divided on this. Because some believe it means that if we are rooted and grounded in love, we will love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength. And regardless of what might come our way, we will love God 
there will be that yes in our heart to God. God, I love you. I choose you. I say no to Satan. I say no to darkness, and I love you. Being rooted and grounded in love so that we're always walking in obedience. We're always walking in fellowship. Our ears are always attuned to his voice. But then there are those who believe that it is instead a challenge for us to be rooted and grounded in the revelation of God's love for you and for me. Now, as you look at these, you say, wow, they are both so important. They are both foundation stones for our lives as Christians. Which is the answer? Well, in the study of, uh, in preparing this message, I came across this comment by Alexander McLaren, a great Bible uh, teacher and preacher and student of yesteryear, who best answers it in these words, where Christ comes. He brings his own love, and that love, when it is received by us, produces in us a response of love from our hearts back to him. And doesn't the scripture affirm that truth and that reality? Did not the apostle John say, this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us. What John is saying, when you really want to size up love, you don't look within your own heart and say, how much do I love God? Love always begins with God, never with us. And John confirms that again in verse 19 where we read, we love him. Why? Why do we love God today? Because he first loved us. You see, the love that we have toward God is just the natural reaction of his love toward us. You know, that actually works in life. Who are the people that are easy to love? Those that love you? Those that lavish you with love? I mean, you just, you just love that person because they love you so well. And when we see how much God loved us, when we see that he was willing to go to the cross for your sin and my sin and take that punishment that was due us and to allow himself to be hung there in shame, taking our shame, taking our guilt, that's love. What manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that now you and I can be called the sons of God. We were God-haters. We were at enmity against God. But when we said yes to Jesus and yes to his love, God says, come on home, son. Come on home, daughter. I want to welcome you back into my family. I created you, but sin alienated you. But now come home and live with me forever. In John 15, we read that before Jesus went to the cross in that upper room discourse, he spoke to his disciples and he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Now, you need to grasp that verse 
You need to receive what Jesus said there before you can obey the next verse, which says, this is my commandment, that you love one another. Jesus didn't say first, this is my commandment, that you love one another. No, first he said, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. Can you wrap your mind around the idea that Jesus loves you with the same love that his Father has for him? That's the love that we are to abide in. And when we get a taste of that love, and when we walk in that love, and when we immerse ourselves in that love, we will experience something that will happen in a dynamic way on the inside of us that enables us to love whether we want to or not. It's important that we take note of the biblical order that we read in verse 17 that Christ may dwell in your hearts then you will be rooted and grounded in love if Christ is not dwelling in our hearts in full measure in the way that he desires to be there and the way that he desires to reveal himself and to reveal his love we wonder sometime why can't I love that person because we're trying to love them with our own strength and with our own energy. And sometimes people are unlovely and this human nature will not love that which is unlovely. We need God's nature to love that which is unlovely. It's so critical to understand love does not come first from our hearts. Love comes first from the revelation of God's love to our hearts. And this is where people get so messed up, looking for love, wanting to express love. You know, we were created to love and to be loved. Think about it. The truth of the matter is what we are most attracted to in life is this four-letter word, love, because that is what satisfies us most deeply that is what fulfills us that is what affirms us that's what makes us stand tall it's love there's nothing like love to attract our human heart but sadly, people are looking for love in all of the wrong places. If you start by looking for the experience of love before you come to Christ, it will end up badly. I assure you of that. You will find only cheap imitations and counterfeit love. But... When Christ comes and he reveals his great love to our hearts, when we get that love, we get everything. You no longer search. You no longer seek. Your soul is no longer longing for this counterfeit love, thinking, oh, if I could do this and, or if I could experience that, then I will be fulfilled. The devil is a liar. We are only fulfilled as we experience the fullness of God's love. And we need to understand, even as believers, that in our aspirations for more of God, I want you to know that we can't love God more until we get more of his love. I love the way Mike Bickle says, it takes God to love God. We need God in our hearts. We need the revelation of God in our hearts. 
We can't love others until we get more of Christ. We can't grow in holiness until we get more of Christ. We can't live a more fruitful life until we get more of Christ. You can't go deeper in God without getting more of Christ. You need to understand, you don't seek the blessing. You seek the blesser because the blessing comes from the blesser. And Lord, I'm here because of not what you could give, but who you are. Reveal to me, fill me with the fullness of who you are that I might know you in the full revelation of your love. And it's only in that vital contact and in union with him that we will receive from God all that he requires of us. Jesus said, those who remain in me and I in them, they will produce much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Are our roots going down deep today into him, deeper into his love, so that we might become more lovely and more loving. You know what's so amazing about this as I pondered it? And I, maybe I stand to be corrected, but I couldn't find anywhere where we are challenged to go deep and to get rooted and grounded in any of the other perfections of God. And you know, God is, wow, you talk about multifaceted. There, there is every perfection in God. But I don't ever read where I'm supposed to go deep into God's justice or Deep into God's heart. Yes, I, I need to understand. I need to know these things. I need to embrace these things. I need to embrace God's holiness. I need to embrace God's power, but not to go deep into those things. The only thing we're to put our roots deep into is Christ's love. There is no other attribute. There is no other perfection of Christ that we're to anchor and to place our life deep down into the foundation of but the love of God. And so the Apostle Paul uses these two metaphors to illustrate what takes place when Christ dwells in us and he lives in and through us. We get rooted. That's a word we know from agriculture. And I love gardening. Any other gardeners here? No other gardeners? Come on, where, where's my kindred spirits here? Okay. But even the most fundamental kindergarten gardener knows that if roots don't go down deep, that plant is not going to thrive and that plant is not going to grow. I don't know if it's my imagination, but it seems we've had a lot of wind of late. And the wind has been ferocious. And then you drive down the highway and you see trees that are so tall that are toppled over. And then you see this tiny little root ball. And you wonder how in the world did that tree ever stand at all? It had no deep roots. So when the fierce winds came, it easily fell over. That's such a picture of our lives. That if our roots don't go down deep into the love of God. When the storms come, we will not stand. Then we are to be grounded. Grounded, that comes from the, the building industry and homes that are not on a strong foundation. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount. 
These sayings of mine are what you need to build your life on because this becomes the strong foundation so that when the storm comes and you build your life on my word and you walk in my commandments, then let the winds blow. You will never be blown away. But if you don't build your life on the word of God, when the storm comes and you build on sand, there's inevitable destruction. So Paul joins these two analogies together and he underscores the importance that we need the agape love of God to be the revelation that is the foundation stone of our life. And in, the way, in, in that way, get planted, get rooted, go down deep. Our building needs to be on that solid foundation. Understand that the love of God by faith we receive, that he dwells in us and that his indwelling is a revelation of his love. Do you know when Jesus comes to us, he comes to us as a lover? Some of us don't have that concept of God. We think God comes to us as an old ogre who wants to hit us over the head and browbeat us for all the wrong things that we've ever done. You know, we used to sing the song, that hymn, Jesus, lover of my soul. What sent Jesus to the cross? His love for you and for me. Why should, we, why should we find joy and victory and how in our Christian life apart from the love of Jesus Christ? In the Song of Solomon, Christ is speaking to his bride, the church, and he says, you are beautiful, my love. Did you catch that word? My love. Are you hearing the voice of the Spirit of God today? who is saying, Johnny, you are beautiful in my sight, my love. Susie, you are beautiful in my sight. You are my love. When Christ comes into our hearts, he comes to lavish us, not with ritual and religiosity and regimen, do this, don't do that, do this, don't do that. No, he comes to lavish us with love that our heart's desire becomes only to love him back. Jesus, what brings you pleasure? You have so satisfied my soul. You've delivered me from sin. You've healed my body. You've set me free. How can I love you back more? Do we love him in that way? We are the object of his affection. You are my love. That means you, 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 and you, every one of us. Today, God's spirit is saying, you are my love. That love is so personal. You know, when Jesus comes to us, he doesn't say, I died for the whole world. But he speaks to each of our hearts personally. And he says, I died for you. When he says that, what are you doing with that message? I died for you. Will you accept my love or will you reject my love? You know, we're all familiar with Galatians 2 and 20 where Paul writes, I live by faith in the Son of God who died, who loved me and gave himself for me. 
who loved who? Me. We're so familiar with John 3.16. God so loved the world. And so our concept is this broadness of God's love. And that's wonderful because his love encompasses every single person on the face of this earth. But have we made it personal? I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Oh, I pray today that somehow the Spirit of God would so capture our hearts with a revelation of his deep love for each and every one of us. He loves you. I'm closing now with this challenge. The evidence of spiritual maturity is that our roots have gone down deep in that love. That our lives have been built on that solid foundation, not of rules, not of regulations, not of religion, but of God's love for me. And our spiritual maturity as individuals and also as a body of corporate believers comes as a result of our roots being deep in the love of God. Our lives being deep and the foundation of God's love. And let me tell you, when we are rooted and when we are grounded, we will not be quick to take offense when you feel you've been slighted. We all feel that way sometime, don't we? But if our roots are deep in God's love, the scripture says that when we love the law of the Lord, nothing can offend us. When we're rooted and grounded in the love of God, we're not crushed when people speak evil of us. Why? Because we know we're loved by God. You know, when you're loved by God, you don't care about whoever else loves you because his love is the only love that really, really matters. When you're rooted and grounded in the love of God, you don't succumb to every suggestion of the enemy because your sights are set on loving Jesus. When you're rooted and grounded in love, you don't lose your faith and say, God, I thought you loved me when the storm comes. Why are you allowing this to happen to me? When we're rooted and grounded in the love of God, we have the peace of God even in the midst of the storm. And here's the acid, acid test, Christian friends. And you hear me say this, and I'm speaking to myself today, if the shoe fits, you can wear it. But the acid test to whether or not my roots are going down deep into God's love is this, is my life being a reflection of God's love? And the acid test is found in 1 Corinthians 13. There are 101 sermons here, but I'm just going to read it. And I'm asking myself, are my roots deep enough into the love of God that I'm able to say my love quotient aligns with what agape love looks like? Love is large and incredibly patient. Love is gentle and consistently kind to all. It refuses to be jealous when blessing comes to someone else. Love does not brag about one's achievements nor inflate its own importance. 
Love does not traffic in shame and disrespect, nor selfishly seek its own honor. Love is not easily irritated or quick to take offense. Love joyfully celebrates honesty and finds no delight in what is wrong. Love is a safe place of shelter, for it never stops believing the best for others. Love, love never takes failure as defeat, for it never gives up. Love never stops. That's a picture of God's love. And it's the picture that he says, I want my saints, my saints in whom I indwell by my spirit to reflect in their lifestyle. And so as we close the service this morning, I want us to meditate on the words of that old, old hymn, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. Oh, love of God, how rich, how pure, how measureless and strong it shall forever more endure the saints and angel song. Media, are we ready to play that song? Let's give our attention to it and meditate on the truth of God's love for each and every one of us.
join as they sing that chorus one more time. in the revelation of your love to our hearts today. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to reveal your great heart of love for us, that we might walk in the fullness of God's love, reflecting Abba's love to those we come in contact with and experiencing the joy of being loved like no one else could ever love us. Let your word find a lodging place in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Before you leave, can I announce...